Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. Now all who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. He too is a son of Abraham. This is the word of the Lord. I first heard Dr. Fred Craddock preach almost 40 years ago. He preached three times in Beaumont, Texas, where I was a pastor. And I can still give you the outlines of those three sermons. They were so wonderful. Whenever I've been within 100 miles of any place Dr. Craddock was preaching, I have always gone to hear him. Dr. Craddock sometimes has seminars for clergy. For many years, he held a distinguished chair in New Testament studies and homiletics at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. He tells pastors that when they're getting ready to start on a new sermon on Monday morning, he or she should take out all the very best commentaries that you've added to your personal library by that time. But before you open any of them, read the text carefully in the Bible. And when you've finished, ask, how does this text taste? Is it salty? Is it sweet? Is it bitter? What color is it? Are these words yellow? Orange? Blue? Gray? One time I heard him in a seminar. I'd met him on several different occasions. I walked up to him when he got through and said, Dr. Craddock, I want to be as creative as you. I read a passage and I say, how does this taste? What color is it? I'm just not as creative as you. And he said, Muzan, when you're as short as I am, you're as bald as I am, and you have a high, squeaky little voice like I do, you better be creative. I heard Dr. Craddock one time talking about this very passage from the 19th chapter of the Gospel according to St. Luke. And he said, and Luke is his subject, at Emory University, Luke was the gospel he taught semester after semester. The one commentary he wrote is a commentary on Luke. He says the antecedent just before this part about, for he was short of statue, is not Jesus. The antecedent is Zacchaeus. I mean, it's not Zacchaeus, it's Jesus. But he said we couldn't have a short Jesus, so we make Zacchaeus the short one. But he's the only one I've ever heard say that. I have eight very good commentaries on Luke's gospel, and the other seven all say he was short of stature. Zacchaeus, not Jesus. Let's take a look at the story. First thing I noticed is that Luke begins this story again with one of his favorite words that our translators leave out. 
He uses it so many times, the translator decided the word was redundant. But I think Luke wrote it because it was important to him in the telling of the story. It has four little letters. In English, it would be written I-D-O-U. It has a rough breathing mark. It's called in Greek. So it comes out chedu. Chedu. And it means behold. But it has the connotation of would you believe? So here for ten chapters, Luke's been telling us that Jesus has resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. Finally, he's only 17 miles away. And would you believe there was a man in this town of Jericho named Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector, rich. Dr. Joseph Fitzmaier says the last word is the one that should be punched here. That's the one Luke's punching because those who've been reading the first 18 chapters of his gospel know that rich people don't fare very well in Luke's gospel. Luke prefers the poor. He prefers the widow, the orphan, the alien, the sick who are coming to Jesus in great numbers. The poor have a bad time in Luke's gospel it's easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man or woman to enter the kingdom of God, he said. So those who are reading along, or many of them hearing this read to them, would you believe a man, Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector, rich, what would put Zacchaeus out on the road that morning? This powerful man, why would he be out there on the road that morning if he were not aware that something was missing in his life? 1880, Henry James wrote a novella that he called Madison Square. It sold well back in the late 1880s, 1890s, and 27 years after its publication, a husband-wife team named Getza decided to turn it into a screenplay, which they named The Heiress. It was on Broadway, ran for a year, back in 1907 to 1908, and then sort of disappeared. One rarely sees it performed these days. It's a story about several people, but three primarily. One is a father. He's making a lot of money. He has a daughter. He's disappointed in her. He doesn't think she's very pretty and he thinks she's rather dull. And, of course, that attitude spills over. She feels that she's not pretty and that she's not very bright, but she's going to inherit. And a young man, a really good-looking one, decides to make a play for her, but he's only a gold digger, and he jilts her after a while, and she sets out to get revenge on him. And the story is about how she sets out to get revenge on this young man who's jilted her. A reviewer in the Wall Street Journal this week, in talking about the latest manifestation of the play on Broadway, said, she wakes up one morning and discovers that in her quest for revenge, she has become her father. Who hurt her? He hurt her by discounting her, by thinking she was not pretty, by thinking she was not bright. He hurt her, and she's become that man. 
ever look in your mirror when you brush your teeth in the morning and think, oh no, I've become my father. I've become my mother. And if you love both of them, I've become my grandfather, my grandmother, my Uncle Harry, my Aunt Rebecca. Because these genes just mix up all kinds of strange ways. Anything missing in your life that might put you out there on the road with Zacchaeus? Number two, Zacchaeus ran, climbed up in a tree. Remember when Dr. Brandon Scott came to give our Barton Clinton Gordy series? Dr. Brandon Scott is a Roman Catholic scholar who holds a distinguished chair in New Testament studies at Phillips Theological Seminary, but he has specialized 40 years in trying to figure out what was going on in that first century of the common era when Jesus lived. And he said in talking to us about the prodigal son that you need to pay close attention when the father runs down the road and kisses the son on his cheek because Israel is not in Europe, it's in Asia. The Jews were Semites, not Europeans. And he said, stop and think, how long has it been since you've seen an old Chinese man run? How long since you've seen an old Japanese man run? It's not the way old Asian men behaved. When Jesus told the story, it was God is like a mother. Mothers run. Mothers throw their arms around wayward boys. They kiss them on the cheek and welcome them home. But here is an older, powerful Asian man who runs and climbs up in a tree to get a better look at Jesus. Maybe this is the one who can provide whatever it is that's missing in his life. Maybe this is the one. It's worth people's pointing a finger and giggling as one runs down the road and climbs up into a sycamore tree to get a better look. The Reverend Paul Stott recently took a group of our older adults out to the Jewish Museum out on the Zara campus, the Sherwin-Miller it's really a wonderful place if you see and read about special exhibits there or just an anytime visit is, is very worthwhile. Paul was telling us about a specific exhibit that they'd gone to see, but I asked, did you see the beautiful Tiffany windows there? Yes, yes, he had. When Gail and I saw those, we just stood sort of in awe. Louis Tiffany, born in 1848, he was a 13-year-old boy when the great Civil War hit this country. He was 17 when that war was over. He became fascinated with glass, beautiful art glass. He went to Orthodox churches to study the iconography. He was influenced by a great Italian family who had made beautiful glass works in Venice named Salviati. And he began to make lamps, first of all, and then he started making beautiful windows for synagogues and churches. The First Methodist Church in Houston, its present building, was built in 1910. Louis Tiffany lived 85 years. 
and he designed the windows in the First Methodist Church as he designed the beautiful windows that are in the Jewish Museum here that came out of a synagogue. When that synagogue closed and Jews in Tulsa had an opportunity to buy those beautiful windows, they're really worth going to see. Every year, annual conference down in Texas was held at the First Methodist Church in Houston. So I was there many times, and then the bishop sent me there to be the Sunday night preacher, to be a liturgist every Sunday morning for seven years. And the windows were so designed that the east sun came streaming through every Sunday morning. They were more than 30 feet tall. On either side of the choir, where the organ pipes are here, just below, 30 feet tall, these magnificent windows. I was recently reading about other windows that Mr. Tiffany designed. One of those he had patterned after a verse in 1 Peter that says, When the chief shepherd comes, the righteous shall receive a crown of glory. The Bible says much about righteousness literally right standing, how the only way we really stand right with God is if we trust that God does love us, not better than, more than any other child of his, but no less than any other child of his. He really does love every child of his into whom he's breathed the breath of life. If you trust that that is so, then you stand right with God. If you sense that he's knocking at the door and you open and invite him to come in, you stand right with him. Billy Graham had crowds sing, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. And we stand right with others, our scriptures say, if we do agape, that is, if we're willing to put ourselves out for the well-being of another We stand right with others. If we treat them the way we really want to be treated, we stand right with them. Zacchaeus seems to be there. He says, I'm willing to give half of what I have to the poor. If I've in fact cheated anybody out of anything, I will restore fourfold. I want to be right. Mr. Tiffany designed this magnificent window of the crown of glory on the head of the righteous. I've told you that when Gail and I get to go to some of the great museums of the world, one of our favorite painters was Michelangelo Marisi. Michelangelo Marisi was born in 1571 in Italy. He went to Rome when he was barely 20. He lived only 39 years. He came to be known by the little town from which he came, Caravaggio. Caravaggio has an amazing way of taking that moment when a person is facing a major decision and capturing the moment. A decision. Because, you see, this third important thing is that Jesus looks up in the tree and says, Zacchaeus, come down. Today, I have to go to your house. Now, if you've been paying close attention to Luke's gospel all this year, you've heard him use this word today more than once. In fact, last Christmas Eve, as it was getting dark outside and we were getting ready to light our candles, 
to light the whole sanctuary with candlelight. We began with the choir out in the great hall. They were the angelic chorus. We clergy were opening all the doors so that you could hear the choir's voices coming around because Luke said the angelic chorus sang that night to shepherds out in their fields, Today is born for you in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. When he was a young adult, he went back to his hometown at Nazareth. On the Sabbath in the synagogue, he stood and read from the scroll of Isaiah and then said, Today this is fulfilled in your hearing. It's in Luke's gospel that Jesus turns to one of those hanging on a cross beside him and says, Today you will be with me in paradise. Caravaggio sensed the importance of that moment when you have to decide. You come down, hurry, Jesus says, hurry, come down today. I want to be at your house. One of Caravaggio's famous paintings is of Samson and Delilah. She's begging on behalf of his enemies. What is the source of your strength? Come on, Samson, you can tell me. What is the source of your strength? And Caravaggio catches that moment. Will he tell her? Will he not? One of his famous paintings of John the Baptizer, he's a very young man, a wonderfully handsome young man as Caravaggio painted him. He's dressed sort of funny. He's preaching down at the Jordan River. Folks have been streaming down that 17-mile road to Jericho to hear him preach. And Caravaggio captures the moment. Will John the Baptizer accuse the king Will he preach against Herod Antipas taking his brother's wife? He will, of course, and it will cost him his head. I told you a couple of years ago that if you get to Rome and you go to the Trevi Fountain where all Americans want to go and you toss your coins into the fountain, then go round the corner there. It's half a block away to the Church of San Luigi. And in that church, there's a magnificent painting by Michelangelo Marisi, Caravaggio, of Levi sitting at the tax collector's table. Yes, a tax collector. The money is there. A couple of others are looking over his shoulder at all this money he's collecting from his own people to pay the Romans, taking out a healthy commission for himself. And suddenly, a finger, a person, Jesus of Nazareth. You see, Caravaggio had been down the street. He had gone into the Sistine Chapel. He had looked at those beautiful paintings that Michelangelo had done 14 years working on the Sistine Chapel finger of God reaching out across the ceiling toward Adam the finger of God and now Caravaggio paints that finger on the hand of Jesus that finger pointing right at Levi 
want to live a different kind of life, Levi? Willing to come with me? Have to take up your cross, leave everything behind, and follow me? You willing to come with me? Number four. Zacchaeus came scrambling down that tree. Now, our translation, I don't think, does this justice. It says he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. Happy is the word I'm having trouble with. Because this is a word we've seen before in Luke's gospel. You see, a part of a minister's study should be a big concordance. Uh, I've got an English one that has every word that appears in the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible and then tells you every scripture, chapter and verse, where that word appears in the whole Bible. But I've also got a Greek one because the Hebrew scriptures were also translated into Greek by the rabbis, 70 of them down in northern Africa, and that translation is called the Septuagint. So you can look for the Greek words all the way from Genesis 1 through Revelation 22 in the concordance. And here is the word that is translated for you as happy. Zacchaeus was happy. No, it's not strong enough. Go back a few chapters. There were many who grumbled, as they do in this passage, grumbled that he ate with tax collectors and other sinners. And only Luke says right there, Jesus told them three stories. Boom, 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 one right behind the other. Once upon a time, there was a shepherd. He had a hundred sheep. He came to the end of the day and counted only ninety-nine. And he left those ninety-nine out in the desert, the wilderness, it says. He left them in the desert and went looking for the one that was lost. And when he found it, he put it up on his shoulders and went home rejoicing. That's the word. He rejoiced. He had found the lost sheep, invited all his friends to come in. He gave a party. There was a woman who lost a coin. She lit this tiny little lamp in her tiny little one-room house. She swept into every corner till she found the coin. And she called her friends. That word is feminine. She called all the ladies around and said, Come over. I found my coin. She rejoiced. That's the word. She rejoiced. There was a man who had two sons. The younger said, I really wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. And the father gave it to him. And this good Jewish boy ended up in a Gentile village in a hog den, rooting around with the hogs for something to eat. He came to himself and started home. He didn't really believe he could be a son again, but he said, the people who work for my father have it better than this. Maybe I could be a doulos, a, a servant or a slave of my father. And the father ran down the road, threw his arms around his neck, said, bring the gold ring, put it on his finger, bring new sandals, put them on his feet, kill that fatted calf we've been saving for a special occasion. And he rejoiced. 
That's the word. Zacchaeus was happy? I don't think that gets it, does it? It's not, it's not enough. The shepherd rejoiced when he found the sheep. The woman rejoiced when she found the coin. The father rejoiced when his lost son came home again. And now the one who's been found is the one who's rejoicing. Because at the same moment that Zacchaeus was seeking, he met the one who was seeking him. Luke says, I have come to seek and to save those who are lost. He rejoiced and invited Jesus to his home. Number four, today, salvation has come to this house. This man, too, is a son of Abraham. This is a story about salvation, of wholeness in this life, right standing in this life, and a place in the eternal kingdom of God. Zacchaeus, Jesus stopped. But he asked for a decision. Hurry. Come on. Come on. Jesus still is focused on getting to Jerusalem. But he has time to talk to Zacchaeus. Debbie McCumber has written about the death of her son. He took his own life. Debbie said that she and her husband had known, since their son was in his late teens, that he battled depression. They had sought the best counselors they could find. He was medicated at times. He was counseled at times. He met and married a beautiful young woman. A couple of years later, they had a little boy. But the depression continued. And her son, Dale, took his own life. Debbie has written about how she and her husband grieved this son whom they loved so much. Grieved and grieved. One of those where you, every time you think about him, you can hardly take a breath. You just feel like you're suffocating. And then we decided we needed to focus on that young wife and that 17-month-old little boy. What could we do for them? What could we do for them? Well, we came up with several things we felt we could do that would help her and this little boy. But one of the things Debbie said she decided to do was to go to the bookstore and buy herself a new Bible. She said, most of all, I wanted this little boy, this little grandson of ours, to grow up as a person of faith and a person who was not afraid to step into the next moment, who would not ever feel what his father had felt before him, who if others mocked at some point that his father had taken his own life, this little boy Jackson would, would be able to withstand all of that. So she said, my plan was I would just start reading the Bible devotionally. But every time I read something that I thought might be helpful to this little fellow, when he got bigger, I'd write a little notation in the margin. And I resolved that when he got big enough to read, I'd give him my Bible. She said one night I was reading about Abraham and Lot. 
After Abraham and Sarah had moved 400 miles west and 400 miles south, here he and Lot were in a dispute over who was going to graze sheep where. And finally, Abraham just said to Lot, you take the better place, I'll take the lesser. And she said, I wrote in the margin, Jackson, be a peacemaker like Abraham. One night she said, I was reading about Daniel being put into the lion's den. And I read it, and I read it. Finally, I wrote in the margin, Jackson, be a man of faith and a man of courage like Daniel. And then she said, one night I was reading in the Gospels, and I came to that story about Jesus meeting a man who had a withered hand. And how he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and he could flex it. It worked wonderfully well again, and I wrote, Jackson, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid of the next moment of your life when you sense that God is asking you to stretch out your hand, hold it out. He has many wonderful gifts for you. Maybe, Jackson, one day you'll rejoice.